Well, good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity South Naperville. I'm Pastor Mike. If we've never met before, do make yourself at home here and I hope you feel uh, extra welcome uh, as we worship together today. Um, we are closing out a four-week series we've entitled One Nation Under God with a question mark at the end. And the reason being is we're exploring what it's like to be members of two kingdoms. One, the political kingdom of the United States of America, which we're all um, citizens of or becoming citizens of in this room, and also members of the kingdom of God. Now, how do you become a member of the kingdom of God? You trust in Jesus to save you from your sins, and you walk in a new life following Jesus, looking, living, and loving, as we say, um, more like Jesus every day and growing in faith as we walk. Now, what we wanted to do in particular today as we close the series is ask a, a question about the United States uh, from its origin. And here's the question. Is the United States a Christian nation, and was it ever meant to be a Christian nation? If you look at the originating documents, you go back to those documents that we studied when we were in elementary school, and particularly if you take a look at uh, the preamble to the Constitution, which I'm going to show you just an excerpt of on the screen here, what I want to challenge you to do in answering the question is to look for names of God, either God overtly or his son Jesus, as I read this. And, and here, I'm just going to read it. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, uh, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Now, how many times do you see the word God or Jesus in there? Uh, you don't see it, right? Now, you do see a couple of religious-sounding words like blessings and ordain, but you don't overtly see uh, the names of God in there. And, of course, this is where the original framers are creating the United States in this document, legally speaking, right? Uh, let's turn over to the Declaration of Independence. Now, maybe you would have memorized some of this in third grade like I did. In fact, when I went back over the words the first time in preparation for the message, I could see the face of my third grade teacher encouraging me with each phrase here. Uh, maybe it'll do the same for you. Uh, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and in this case that would be the UK, right? Great Britain and the King of Great Britain and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Uh, basically, what are we getting to here? We are seeing the name of God for the first time in here, but uh, we're getting to the idea that people are, um, are not supposed to live uh, in, uh, in tyranny, as it were, and that there are times when they have to step back from the way they live and take an accounting of how they live um, as equals. And here, here's what that goes on and says. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, everything we just said ought to be obvious. And then they spell it out. They say that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights, um, our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Notice it doesn't guarantee happiness to Americans. It says we're guaranteed the right to the pursuit of happiness. Now, where does it say God or Jesus in that excerpt? It doesn't. 
it basically deals with the idea that we as God's creatures are called to live in freedom and not under tyranny. Uh, that we see each other as equals, not as one who is over another, um, in this case, Great Britain and the United States, right? But as equals, and that this is a right, that we are able to pursue happiness along with life, life and liberty, and that this is something that God grants us by the nature that, that of his creation. Now, you see the name of God, and you see nature, and you see you know the Creator in there with a capital C, but do you see the name of Jesus? No. I mean, the main reason is many of the framers of, of these documents, the people who wrote them and signed them, many of them were what we would call deists. They believed in deism, which means they believed in God, but not necessarily follow Jesus as the Messiah or Savior. Now, that seems kind of weird uh, because, you know, we take for granted the idea. Jesus says, um, I and the Father are one, and that the two of them come together. Right, but there were some back then who, you know, believed that you could have God without Jesus. And Jesus disagrees and says, "I and the Father are one." But what we're finding here in these original framing documents is the creation of a nation that is not Christian. So the United States of America is not inherently a Christian nation. Does that surprise you? Uh, maybe you came in here this morning assuming that the United States was a Christian nation. We do have Christians, obviously, who live here, and we have non-Christians, of course, that is true and obvious, but maybe we've taken it for granted, the purpose of our nation from the very beginning, in a way, and maybe we need to simply step back and look at its purpose and the ways in which God not only allowed its creation, but uh, promoted its creation. Well, what is the purpose of the state? In a nutshell, the purpose of the state or the government uh, whether that be uh, federal or state or local government, right? The purpose of the government is to create the rule of law and to enforce it. Uh, in, in, in other words, uh, to restrain evil from running amok in the United States, in the streets, um, we have laws. And as long as you obey those laws, um, even you know down to uh, the spirit of the law or the letter of the law, whatever the situation requires, you know, and this is why we go to trial sometimes to interpret that, as long as you obey the law, uh, then you're going to get along fairly well in your ability to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the construct. Um, and the original framers, um, we, we see them as uh, placing a nod to God in the, those original framing documents, but not the gospel. And so we, we establish this difference between church and state in this way. A nod to God is not the same thing as the good news of Jesus. If you nod to God and mention his name and the idea of equal rights as a creation, a creature of God's, it's not the same thing as the full gospel message of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is about God saving all who would believe in and follow Jesus. About God saving all who would believe in and follow Jesus uh, because Jesus did what was required, the righteous requirements of God's law, not the political law, but the, the law of God, um, to perfectly follow the law of Moses that was given to people Israel, um, wherein they were called to understand and believe um, that they needed to have faith in God in order uh, to be considered righteous in his sight. In other words, God never established that we could earn favor in his sight by following his law. Um, he always established from the beginning 
that our faith was intended to be a faith of the heart. Here's where we get that. Um, starting in uh, verse 33 in Jeremiah 31, the prophet says this, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. So the law of Moses, the law of the church, was not intended to be like the law of the United States of America, uh, whether it's fate, uh, federal, state, or, or local. Uh, the law of Moses, the law in God's kingdom, was never intended to be the same as the law of the United States and the states and the locality and the municipal, municipalities, right? Those laws, uh, the state laws, were intended to restrain evil and to maintain order. The law of God was intended to bring people to the realization that they need a Messiah and understand what it means to love your neighbor and to love God. And this law was intended to be written on our hearts. In other words, it was intended to change our hearts toward God so that we would understand we need a Savior, we need a Messiah. Jeremiah goes on in the second half of that verse, 33. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, you, you know, know the Lord, uh, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And we understand that it was Jesus who came not to abolish this law, uh, this perfect law that God gave the Israelites and was passed down to us, Jesus came not to abolish it or to, to cast it away, but to do what? To fulfill it. And he did that. And so what happens is, when we trust in Jesus, the perfection with which he followed the law and fulfilled it, we inherit that perfection in God's sight. Um, and that becomes good news for us. For us, the good news of Jesus is that we cannot and in, 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 in any way are able to please God by what we do. But we please God by being um, God's children through faith in Jesus. That is the work of the church, not the work of the state. The state creates laws to do what? Restrain evil. Whereas the church has the law of God fulfilled by Jesus to do what? To show the love of God to the entire world and invite the entire world to become a part of God's kingdom, albeit and even as we're a part of a political kingdom like the U.S. Look at what the Apostle Paul says about this new life uh, that God's given us when he changes our hearts. This is 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. Paul says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Jesus was thought to be a political Messiah, one who would come and, uh, and liberate uh, the kingdom of Israel from the Romans. And he did not fulfill that expectation politically. Instead, we regard him, the Bible says, from a different point of view, no longer a worldly point of view. Paul says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. There's a new kingdom, a kingdom that is among you, the Bible says. Uh, the kingdom of God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then watch this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul goes on and says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, 
not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, let me ask you a question. Who has he committed to uh, the, rec- the message of reconciliation? Who has he committed that message to? To you and me where? As Americans? No. He has committed it to the church, to those of us who are members of the kingdom of God, even while we live in the kingdom of politics of the United States of America around us. Paul says in verse 20, we are therefore, because of all that, Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. In other words, God is not forcing the good news of Jesus on us as rule of law. He's not trying to restrain evil by giving us this good news. In other words, he's giving us this good news and making an appeal, which means we have a choice, a choice through the Holy Spirit. We implore you, the Bible says, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Every single person around us has a choice as to whether to receive the good news of Jesus or to push back against him and say, no, thank you, I don't want that. But what is inclusive of all of us in the kingdom of God, every Christ follower, is this ministry of reconciliation. Jesus was the very first minister of reconciliation by what he did on the cross and then afterward, rising from the grave and leading us in a brand new life, even to this very day and beyond. And as such, he calls each and every one of us, men, women, and children, to participate in and even champion by his power, this ministry of reconciliation. So if you look around the room, every person you see here is called and equipped through the Holy Spirit to be a minister of reconciliation. Reconciliation between who? Between the God who made them and themselves for the purpose of bringing them into his kingdom and sharing that that kingdom is open until the end of times when Christ returns. So if you ever wonder how to navigate between the politics of the day, which by the way is getting even more heated here in social media and the news media, and even in conversation as we open a new presidential election season, right? Even less than a year and a half away, that election will take place. Um, As we get into a new season, the rhetoric is going to really become inflamed and people are gonna get more and more passionate about their point of view. You and I, as followers of Jesus, don't have to get caught up in the emotion of that, why? because our faith is not in the politics of the day. It's not in a political candidate. It's not in the political system in Congress or the winner of an election or anything um, that comes through and about the, uh, the politics of the day. Our faith is in Christ and we are reconciled to God and given the opportunity to live at peace with God and others. And so when we find people placing too much faith Uh, an undue amount of faith and trust in the politics of the day. It gives us the opportunity to share with them that there is something bigger, better, and more for them than simply the political system in which we live. There is a purpose for that political system. It has a purpose. The state has a purpose. And it is not to give good news, the good news of Jesus. It is to restrain evil. And yet, The kingdom of God is who gives the good news. People need to hear that good news from real people like you and me in average everyday conversations. And what's super cool about this is that the state's function of guaranteeing free speech 
as long as it does and as long as it will, the state's function of guaranteeing free speech is that we have the ability to share our faith as a right, as an American right. We still have the, the ability to share our faith as a right in this nation. And it's not that we shove our views down the throats of other people or impose our faith on other people. That's not what we're doing. When we speak to people about our faith, we can be bold in faith because God has given us the free right to be able to share who we are. And when you share what you are and who you are in Christ, that's not imposing yourself on someone else. That's sharing yourself with someone else. And there is a difference. The imposition of your faith on someone else means that you force them under tyranny, under threat, to say they believe what you believe. And that is materially different, isn't it? When you share who you are with somebody else, especially with somebody who likes you and wants to be around you, you're not imposing your beliefs, friend. You are sharing who you are, and you have an American right to be able to share that good news. Now, as long as we have that ability, as long as we have that chance and that choice, let us rise to the challenge and let us rely upon God who says he will give us the words to speak. We know that we are made right with God through Jesus. Why would we hold that message to ourselves? As a minister of reconciliation, anytime we get the chance to share the faith that comes from above, that comes through Jesus down to earth, why would we not share it? You know what, as we pray and close, I just wanna ask you to do this. Think about all the times that you've been in a position where you could share the good news of Jesus and you coil back in fear, fear of how people would respond to you or fear that you might be doing something wrong. And because of Christ, in this prayer, give yourself a release from that tyranny. That tyranny comes from the evil one. The one who saved you and called you and empowered you and leads you gives you a new freedom to share who you are in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this great nation in which we live and the ability to see the difference between it as state and the church, the kingdom of God in which we also live. God, as we are members of your kingdom, empower us by your Holy Spirit. Build on the faith that you've given each one of us so that when we're in a conversation in the future where someone demonstrates they have more faith in the pol political system and the politics of the day than in the one who created them, that we may lovingly and respectfully share the good news that there is something bigger, better, and more. And at the same time, God, um, confessing to you that sometimes we feel the compulsion to withdraw from the political system and not engage in it, inspire us to engage in it all the more because we know there's a difference between the two, the church and the state, and we know that you've given each its purpose, and we know that you've called us to participate in both of them as people who are fully alive in a new abundant life that Jesus has given us. So God, we trust all this to you and pray and ask for the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and invite someone to further conversation on the matter. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.